This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is a podcast hosted by Waikato Environment Centre or Go Eco. We are a voice for the tile, environment, a centre for ako, learning and a catalyst for change. Hipuna Kōrero shares the aspirations and mahi of our team and community as we work towards a vision of healthy environments and thriving communities. Wā whakamutanga, uh, Harvey Orton is the community organiser for both Predator Free Hamilton and Project Echo and joined us last week to talk about citizen. <laughs> We were supposed to talk about citizen science and predator control, but our corridor uh, kind of sidetracked. And we really just discussed uh, Harvey's background um, as an outdoor instructor, what that can teach us about ourselves and um, our capacity to, um, I guess, take on physical challenges that we didn't think that we could, and also how the environment influences his art practice. Um, and because we didn't get to citizen science and predator control, uh, I've asked him back today. Uh, kia ora, Harvey. Welcome back. Fakalafala uh, yatu. Kia ora. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I do want to just touch on what we discussed last week um, because we've touched a little bit about it today. So for those who did listen last week, uh, I did do the Ruapani <laughs> track to the lookout on Pirongia uh, last Friday. It was a bit of a challenge, but um, at the times where I was... Out, a little bit out of breath and a bit sweaty and a little bit lost. I did think of Harvey's message is that you, you can do this and you just need to take one more step. And I think that's a, it's a good reminder for anyone who is thinking of uh, tackling tracks on our beautiful Maunga uh, this summer. Have you got any in mind, any tracks that you're going to be tackling? <laughs> um, the first one probably is uh, Ruapehu. So it's it's not local, but um, I'm going to spend three days down there this weekend. And so I'm thinking about trying to summit Rupehu or go near the summit because I won't go right on the summit because I think the mountain is sacred. So, um, But that's weather dependent. Otherwise, I will be doing Kokako monitoring most of the summer. So I'll be oh, on Pirongia cool. most of the summer. So, Cool. Um, Maybe we might come back to that a little bit later on. Um, let's talk about citizen science, and I guess we should really start with what is it? It's it's a difficult question to answer. So it's it's really people looking at the big picture and trying to get things done. It's not always scientifically rigorous. So it's essentially science that doesn't care about the details. Um, and in that way, I could say you could think about the predator-free ambition which is to get rid of stoats rats and possums but there's work being done at the moment which suggests that it might not be a good idea to get rid of all of the rats if there's stoats still around hang on because this is the spinner in the works yeah so if there's but we'll get to why it doesn't matter in a second because citizen science is really important but if there's no rats left and there's stoats left what are the stoats going to eat all the birds okay 
yeah. since the unintended consequence so, of success. Then. Yeah, so a science project usually has a, uh, without going too deep into the academic idea of it, it usually has a hypothesis, a method, a methodology, results, analysis, and, and redoing it. So if the hypothesis is, should we get rid of all rats in an area, then the method is get rid of them. The results are, no, we shouldn't have done and then you redo things. But in citizen science, you don't have the time to do that. And also, it doesn't matter. And so the reason it doesn't matter is because the predator-free 2050 is such an ambitious goal that we're probably never going to reach that stage of getting rid of all rats. Or if we do, we're going to have to get rid of all stoats as well anyway. And what citizen science does is it gives people agency to actually do something, and then the science can catch up. So citizen science is awesome in the sense that it has achieved great things already like wellington is predator free in large scales they did that based on crude brute force and what that's do you mean by crude brute well force? the best method we know of getting urban biodiversity back is trapping in one in five houses and trapping all the biodiversity areas that we know of that is an incredibly labor-intensive project um so for Hamilton, for example, we currently have 2% of the, of the amount of houses that we need to get trapping to get a whole citywide coverage. We aren't trapping in all the gullies. We're trapping in some of them, and some projects have more trapping than others, and then some projects have restoration projects, and others some gullies have restoration projects and others don't. And so... With citizen science, you're often having to compromise on what would normally be required. So another thing you might have to compromise on is you might say, right, the, the hypothesis is that if we get rid of rats in Munga Kotukutuku Gully, the bats will survive. Okay, what do we need to get rid of rats in Munga Kotukutuku Gully? We need a thousand rat traps. How much money do we have? Two thousand dollars. How many rat traps does that get us? Fifty. Okay. So we can't do this study properly, we can't do this science properly, but is that going to stop us? No. And so what citizen science does is allows people to actually get going and doing things and get small successes, and then the idea is to overlap those successes, to get the one in five in the houses, you get the predator-free islands, um, and then all those things come together and you start to see real change. You start to see things like... Kokako being released in Mangatoturi from Pirongia. Now, if you think about that, that's the wrong way. So Why is it the wrong way? Because Mangatoturi, uh, no, sorry, um, Mangatoturi has a predator-proof fence. So logically, you would think the birds raised in Mangatoturi would be released in places that don't have a predator-proof fence. It's happening the other way. Why? So because Pirongia's um, citizen science project has been so effective that they could release Titiponamu, which is the rifleman, the smallest bird, I think, in Aotearoa, mm. and Kokako into Mangatoturi. Another example of how predator-proof fences might not be scientifically robust is um, Rotopiko. So yeah. the idea was, and this isn't all citizen science, this is entirely, sometimes this is institutions getting it wrong, but it's the idea of doing something before you know what the result is. The hypothesis is put the fence around a place and it will be great well and recently about a year ago 
um, there was a paper released that said that there were more native birds roosting and, and nesting outside the predator-proof fence than inside the predator-proof fence. Why is that? Well, the reason for that is that exotic birds have taken over the inside. So which birds are we protecting? In Rotopico, we're protecting starlings. Using and the pigeons. And using the predator-proof fence. Mm. So the predator-proof fence then is unscientific. Like it's it's a it's a failure. It's a it does not support the hypothesis, which is if you put a predator-proof fence around, then you get more native birds inside the predator-proof fence. So sometimes with citizen science, we're not following as what we would call the scientific method. But the most important thing is it doesn't matter because it works. We know it works. And how do we know it works? Well, because of Wellington, because of Pironia, because of the Coromandel Kiwi project, um, because of the projects in Dunedin oh, sorry, the projects in Dunedin which I can't remember the name of but there's a great wetland project there because of Miranda because of all these places where you get success and where you get to see more birds and more biodiversity and the other reason why it succeeds is because conservation scientists do hang on let me restart that sentence scientists never get enough funding mm. it's the rule of the game science is underfunded all the time so then what do you do well you have to you have to change two things you have to get normal people involved and you have to change the out, outlook of the society at large and citizen science does that citizen science opens the door to allow people to see what's happening and see what's worth saving intrinsically so bird of the year is a great example of that like bats are suddenly in vogue mm -hmm. bats were never in vogue before bird of the year birds have always been on top of the pile in in Aotearoa so to think that bats are currently on top of the pile is purely down to the citizen science idea that forest and bird have of having which isn't really science again but it's citizen science isn't always science it's sometimes how do we get people to understand what's actually happening in the natural environment slash whatever project you're doing so forest and bird have bird of the year i think it's forest and bird ben paris and a couple of other people decide bats should be in it they're not a bird but who cares they win and suddenly bats are now popular and people are trying to do things for bats mm. the other example of bats citizen science that's worked is the work that people like resi did when peacock's development was coming along um the developers now have to account for bats without citizen science that might not have happened so it doesn't have to be, strictly speaking, what an academic would call science to be success. We have to get people involved. We have to get people to care. And citizen science really is about that to me. It's about getting the community to care and community to care about each other and community to care about the surroundings they live in. And, and partly to get, them to get people to know that they're bats in Hamilton. Like, my job is is to do citywide surveys and talk to people about bats and the most common thing I get in when I talk to people about Pekka Pekka is oh I didn't know there were bats in Hamilton well why it's because there's no there's there's no vision of it we can't see, we and can't hear see them. it we can't see and hear them and we can't see and hear them in the media suddenly we can and people are suddenly really interested mm. and i guess uh, uh i don't know skinks geckos would be another example we probably don't see or hear them a lot particularly here in kirikiriroa um so we don't recognize them the same way we do with the call of a tui or well, the fantail that's friendly well that's one risk of 
citizen science is is TUI 2000 is an amazing project and succeeded and we brought TUI back into Hamilton but sometimes when you succeed at such a level people can think oh we're done like this is mm. we're, we're good this is what it used to be like this is oh before people came this is what Hamilton well no there would have been hundreds of thousands of birds and animals and skinks um, there are ornate skinks and copper skinks in in Hamilton there are also rainbow skinks or plague skinks so not all skinks are good but yeah um, they're so not how do we know if they're when, when you say not all are good does that mean they're not native well yeah is that the, how you define well, <laughs> you know what's good and what's not good um, for the most part in predator control and things like that yes that is how we define it essentially if the if the animal is native then we want to protect it if it's not native then we don't that doesn't mean native animals aren't are nice to each other. Um, yeah. I have this discussion quite often as well. It's like the ruru and the and the peka peka. The ruru eats the peka peka. So, but then do we want to get rid of the ruru? Of course not. But the peka peka evolved to deal with the ruru. It didn't evolve to deal with rats or stoats or dare I say it, feral cats, mm. which we won't go into in depth. You can but, if you like. Uh, well, okay, we can do <laughs> I, that. I mean, I I think I mean. Um, and, and maybe you can talk more to this, but there was a huge amount of work done, uh, led by Resi, to make sure that the bats were forefront of mind, mm. at least uh, for planning for the amber field and peacock. Uh, and one of the things I've put in place is that you can't is it, have a cat. So the cat owners are not welcome <laughs> in the amber field. Um, yeah, well, that's essentially it. Like, cat owners are not welcome. That, I mean, that's a... It's kind of. I don't know how else to say it because yeah. this is a conversation we're used to having because we are all protective of our cats and we do love them, but they are also a huge menace to our native well, birds and we can't not. So Kerry Borkin, who is the kind of North Island endangered species person at Dock, um, I think she wrote the paper, but she found that there had been a cat in the Tongariro um, National Park and it had climbed into bat roost and it had eaten 28 bats so they did an autopsy on this cat and it had 28 bats in its stomach so this is the this is the problem we have with predator control and cats is that people love their cats and that's fine um but they are predators mm. and they're predators of things like bats and small birds um they are also mostly nocturnal, so there's a really simple thing. Some people will tell me, oh, my cat sleep, curls up and sleeps with me all night. Um, and that may be the case, but there's very few that do. Um, cats spend around 60 to 70% of their active hours at nighttime. So a really simple thing you can do is shut your door at night keep them inside at night that doesn't mean keep them inside all the time although some people in cities I, I can. do some um, people in cities made can the choice because yeah. i think when you see a cat bringing a wax eye and something that yeah. you really love as is, is the um, native birds you have to make a choice yeah so you have to make a choice uh but one of the choices you can do is just keep them inside at night uh, it's not it's not hard the cat doesn't suffer you can let it out in the mm. day um and th and that comes to the choice we have to make so in predator control, you have a really simple binary choice. It's a wonderful thing for an environmentalist to have to be able to do because most most environmental questions like plant restoration and climate change and all these other things are complex and they're difficult. But in New Zealand, we have a really simple equation. Do you like rats, stoats, and possums and cats, or <laughs> do you like or or do you like the native birds and the native species? You have to pick one because can't you can't have both. You can have rats, 
or you can have native birds. So it's going to be an endless game. Like it's 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 a it's a it's a long game. In a hundred years, maybe we'll win. I. Well, I mean, the goal is for twenty fifty maybe to be we, predator free. Maybe we can win by twenty fifty. It is possible. It's a hard game, but if we don't do predator control, we lose all our birds by then, all of them. Mm. So the question you have to ask is: Do you want to live in a world where New Zealand is the home of basically rats, possums, and stoats, or do you want to live in a world where New Zealand is the home of all those native birds that are endemic to here, the bats that are endemic? There's nothing else like them on the planet. So that's the choice we have to make. Rats are going to be fine ecologically on the planet, regardless of what we do here. Do you think people mind if they are fine or not, though? Um, no, but in certain places in the world, they belong. Like, I don't think rats get a bad rap in other parts of the world. It's like hedgehogs. That's the other one no one likes to talk <laughs> Nobody about. Nobody wants to talk about hedgehogs. But hedgehogs either. are a predator here. They, they, they eat um, ground-nesting birds' eggs. They eat lizards. They eat insects. They're a predator. But in the UK, we build tunnels under highways to protect them. Why is that? Why are they, I guess, different species over there? And so they're not no. threatened by hedgehogs? Is that why you're more likely to protect them over there than here? Well, I mean, England's the reason why we have <laughs> nice memories of hedgehogs. It's the stories we've been told. Yeah, and they're precious in the UK. Like, um, we're not, I, I'm not here to talk about the UK, <laughs> but I will dwell on it briefly they're precious in the uk and they're endangered and they've got oh. lots of predators they've got oh, you don't have foxes here but mm. thank goodness you don't have foxes here but stoats weasels ferrets badgers um hawks foxes cats dogs all these things go after hedgehogs so hedgehogs are in a different game in terms of the biodiversity game in the uk the other thing that is is always a threat to biodiversity is development and deforestation and habitat loss and so hedgehogs have a path they follow and they can walk kilometers in a night this is relevant to new zealand because mm. a hedgehog that you see in your garden kilometers kilometers they, they shuffle so they slowly just, they just plod they're plodders <laughs> it's like me going up a track and they follow and they follow a pathway so when they get to a ground nesting bird they might not eat the eggs but they'll go straight over them and crush okay. them all and that's essentially the same thing. What are ground-nesting birds? Um, Pukekos, kiwis, oh, right. um, I think matukus are ground-nesting. Yes, yeah, so also not in the city. I guess uh, it's not in the city. No, no. Hedgehogs are really a rural, more of a rural mm. problem. Uh, lizards are the problem for hedgehogs in the city. So places like um, uh, Seely Gully and places, all those gully systems and Cortland's Bush where lizards might live or could live in the future are overrun by hedgehogs. Hedgehogs love them, so they'll eat the lizards. But yeah, and so a hedgehog will follow a path, a pathway, and then in England, when we put motorways through it, we realised that hedgehogs were getting run over all the time. Now, running over a hedgehog here is great, go for it. But, <laughs> but running over a hedgehog in the UK is endangered. It's the same with possums. That's possums crazy. are endangered in Australia. Unfortunately... Are they? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, so unfortunately, the idea of shipping all our pests back to where they came from is not a goer. It would cost trillions of dollars and would be so hard, and we probably wouldn't succeed. Sorry. Probably wouldn't succeed, so that's not really an option. 
Um, but yeah, I've got a bit lost on the train right, of so, thought. So. Oh, well, no, it's, I mean, we're talking about citizen science here with Harvey. Uh, he's uh, organiser of Predator Free Hamilton and Project Echo. And we're really talking around citizen science in terms of uh, the predator free goal of having n- no rats, stoats, or possums by 2050. Um, and I guess you've really talked around, I mean, there's science, which is an exact sort of process, yes. but there's citizen science, which is getting as far as we can or more I guess I consider it maybe more like a movement more people doing this and uh it is more of a movement so perhaps the best way to explain it is that you have all the scientists doing all this hard research where they have to care about every little detail and then you have hundreds of people hopefully thousands who are just like well we don't we don't have time right so science is really important but it's a slower process so do we wait for a specific study on Mangakotukutu Gully to say you need this many rat traps, or do we just get rat traps in? And that's why citizen science is so important. It gets people involved in the project, started. and it gives scientists data. So the scientists that can then so use the data... So tell us about how uh, the data is collected for... The, say that you've come into GoEco, you've uh, gone home with a rat trap, um, and then hopefully you're feeding into trap.nz. Yeah, so there's, um, if you've gone home with a rat trap, there's two things you can do, and they're both online. Um, Predator Free Hamilton has an has a interactive map that you can put your household on, um, and you fill out a form, and you, you put your trap in, and the type of trap, and then you can keep record of all the catches you get, which is a great way of doing it, and yes, I should mention... I should plug it. There is traps at GoEco, and they are for purchase. And they're great Christmas gifts. Yeah, yeah. Um, And they are absolutely essential for the project that we're doing. Um, If you don't want to use the Predator Free Hamilton map, you can use the Trap NZ map, which is kind of the map that is used nationwide. It's not a local map. The Predator Free Hamilton map is a local one, so we can keep track of everything that's happening here. But Trap NZ is for any project you have anywhere, so... Um, and what, why is um, mapping it so important for, for the project? Well, specifically for the Predator Free Hamilton map, it's about getting that one to five ratio. So on the Predator Free Hamilton interactive map, we have a kind of a dial or like a, a gauge which shows us how many households we've got and how far away we are from the target. So I think the target is over 10,000 from memory and the 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 amount of households we have officially on the map is around 250. Obviously, so, a lot of people are not signed up to that map. Yeah, so there's um, that's one of my jobs for the summer as well. Do they, do they well. need to be a uh, predator-free Hamilton trap, or could they be anybody's Bunnings or Mighty Ten rat trap? Um, it's ideal if they use a predator-free Hamilton one because we follow the rules of NAWAC, the National Animal Welfare association committee (laughs) Um, and that is basically the trap has to get 10 out of 10 humane kills so a lot of traps don't kill an animal straight away Mm. Um, and that's another issue with killing an animal is or catching an animal or or trapping an animal is um, people are very conscious that the animal shouldn't suffer and and so is predator free so predator free will only use uh, NAWAC approved traps there is a list of those online, or you can ask at GoEco if you come in for one. In fact, we only stock NAWAC approved. Mm. So they're different traps for different animals. So a possum trap would not be NAWAC approved for a rat, or a rat trap would not be NAWAC approved for a possum. So you do have to get different traps for different animals. So how do people know what, what they have? Well, say, let's, let's take the city, for example. How do you know which 
pest or predator you have. Oh, which you have in your house. Yeah, so I mean, you say you know something, you've got something, but you're not really sure what it is. Um, well, the first thing to say is you definitely have rats. Oh, that's a no. That's, I don't that's think a no. I have rats. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> you definitely do. Um, <laughs> they're everywhere. So uh, we we may have time to get onto this, but no, not. But um, rats make a kind of a sound that's almost ultrasonic. So when I did the bat citywide survey using acoustic monitors, everywhere where I put a monitor up, I got bat rats. Okay. I didn't get bats everywhere, but I got rats everywhere. And I guess rats that's where everywhere. we remind people that if you see one, that means there's in, like a huge infestation. You wouldn't see them running around the day unless you had a gazillion rats. Yeah, so they don't like light. They don't like being out in the open. They don't like being seen. They don't like running across streets. They don't like any of that. So if you are seeing them, there's lots of them. And they're everywhere. Um, so you definitely have rats. There's no excuse <laughs> for anyone who wants to help trap rats not putting one in their back garden because they will get them um if you have lemon trees or fruit trees you probably have things possums want um especially if you live near a gully um possums are less Is likely this even in the city yeah 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 so you will get possums in the city we get quite a few hamilton east school have trapped four possums in the last three months so wow. they're getting okay. into hamilton east school on gray street so and that's what we have to remember as well is that the rivers and the gullies are a ecological superhighway for our native species but they're also an ecological superhighway for our invasive species can rats swim yes rats okay. can swim across the river yeah most no people can't swim <laughs> Norway rats can so there's two species of rats and Norway rats will definitely be able to swim across the river ship rats don't like going in the water as much as Norway rats but they can probably swim across the river too stoats can swim across the river possums won't swim across the river but they as far as I'm aware I could be wrong but they won't need to so they can there's enough there's enough river bank with trees and they can get right in from the south Waikato right into well no south of Hamilton not mm. south Waikato south of Hamilton right into the city just by following the river path okay. so or any gully so anybody so, actually who walks along that river path has probably seen signs of that anyway. Yeah, and people tell me often that they've seen signs of possums on the river. Mm. And the council are trapping for possums on the river now. And we do have a community group who's on the river near Hayes Common trapping. Yeah. Um, and they're going great guns, so that's good. Actually, um, we, <laughs> we are out of time. We need to wrap up. Uh, for people who want to find out more about predator, the predator-free movement, um, where do they go for more information? Um, and also, how do you connect to local projects? Okay, so one of the best ways to connect to local projects is through Predators Free Hamilton or getting in touch with GoEco or getting in touch with me at GoEco. Um, the other way is to go along to a working bee. There's some in Sealy Gully. There's uh, some on, at Resi at Hammond Park. In terms of getting involved in the movement at large Predator Free New Zealand Trust has a website, Predator Free 2050 have websites um, you can go on Facebook and look for Predator Free groups in your local area, there's a few if you're in Morrinsville there's a new one, in Tiamutu there's a new one coming mm. up, in Cambridge there's one obviously, they're doing amazing in Matamata too yeah. Cambridge is one obviously which is a Go Eco led one um, Narawa here have a community of people who want to be involved, um, but they don't have an official site yet. But there's pretty much any, there's a project in any suburb or any town around Hamilton. It's a movement that's grown very quickly, yeah. it feels. Um, 
which is awesome. It's a movement that's growing geographically very quickly as well, so it's spreading out. So that's nice. what we want because you need coverage. Because if mm. you're going to take a brute force approach the way we have to, you need coverage. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for joining us again. That is our half hour up again. Uh, so, but we did cover what we were supposed to talk yeah. about last time, which is great. So I hope that you as a listener have learned uh, more about predator control uh, and are keen on getting involved. Um, Go Eco Waikato Environment Centre are a not-for-profit environment hub with biodiversity, kai, transport and enterprise projects. You can find out more about our work on social media, Go Eco Waikato, by heading to our website, Goeco org.nz or better yet popping in 188 Commerce Street Frankton in Kirikirira or Hamilton join us again next week for a new episode but make sure you follow or subscribe to Hupuna Kōrero on your favourite podcast platform so that you don't miss an episode Kia pai tora e ma and thank you to our guests today Harvey Orton, the uh, organiser for Predator Free Hamilton and Project Eco Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.